This morning, I should like to call your attention uh, to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then we have the wonderful book of Deuteronomy, and for the next many weeks, uh, we're going to be drawing from some of the uh, incredible truth that comes out of this most mispronounced book in the Bible. Uh, some people put the M before the N, and it's Deuteronomy, and that would not be correct. I heard a kid call it one time, Deuteronomy. Amen. And it's not that either, though I like the concept, right? It's Deuteronomy. And not only is it perhaps uh, one of the most uh, mispronounced books in the Bible, truth be told, it's one of the most overlooked books in the Bible. Even though it's one of the most important books in the Bible, truth be told. Deuteronomy is the culminating book of what we call the books of Moses. Sometimes we refer to them as the Torah, the law of Moses. Uh, sometimes we refer to the first five books of the Bible as the Pentateuch. Penta, of course, meaning five. A very important part of God's Word and the culminating aspect of this first portion of what we know now as the Bible, the Word of the living God, is the book of Deuteronomy. It's incredibly important in terms of what it communicates and what it has to say, both for the people who originally heard it and for God's people even in the 21st century. Some have indicated that its Old Testament importance is much like the importance of Paul's letter to the Romans in the New Testament. And with respect to the gospel, some have said the book of Deuteronomy is as important as the gospel of John is in the New Testament. And yet, important as it is, I'm amazed that many Christians have never even read the book of Deuteronomy. Now there's probably a lot of reasons for that. First among equals is that when you're doing your Bible reading plan uh, every year, uh, you get stuck in the book of Leviticus and you never make it out alive, amen. <laughs> Pastor, the book of Leviticus killed me. Uh, and as a result, you never make it to Deuteronomy and so Deuteronomy never actually gets read. And that's a real tragedy because if I, think, I think if Jesus were here in the room this morning, you know what I think he'd say? When I was alive, the book of Deuteronomy was my favorite book in the Bible. I think Jesus would say that. You know why I say that? Because he quotes from it constantly all throughout the narrative of his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus goes to the book of Deuteronomy as much as, if not more than, any other book that he quotes from in the Bible. For example, when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength, that very familiar passage of scripture, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. When Jesus tells the devil, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. When Jesus references the very familiar language, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, or when he speaks of a matter being established in the presence of the testimony of two witnesses, or when he talks about a deceased man's brother taking the deceased man's wife and raising up her children, Jesus is quoting <clears throat> from the book of Deuteronomy. 
If you read the pages of the Word of God, particularly in the New Testament, you'll find the book of Deuteronomy quoted in the New Testament over 80 times, 80, which puts it right on up there with books like Psalms and Isaiah and Genesis as the Old Testament books that you see quoted most frequently in the New Testament. Now, when most people think about Deuteronomy, the first thing they think of is what? Law. Law, and that's why a lot of people kind of avoid it because they think, well, that's intimidating to me. I don't understand the Jewish law. It's not even irrelevant or it's not even relevant to me anymore. And so a lot of people do see the book of Deuteronomy as irrelevant, something that really no longer applies to Christian people in the 21st century or that has little value to the modern worshiper today. And if that's you, can I just say something this morning? You are totally misreading the book of Deuteronomy. I think all of the Old Testament books should, of course, be read in their immediate context, but I also think they ought to be read through the lens of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we read the book of Deuteronomy through the lens of the gospels, through the lens of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Deuteronomy does have much to say about the Jewish law, to be sure. We won't overlook that. And the title of the book actually reflects that. You know what the word Deuteronomy means? I'm going to tell you what it means. It means second law. Deutero means two or second. Namas is the Greek word for law. Put them together and you get Deuteronomy or Deuteronomos, a word that means second law. But that requires a word of explanation because Deuteronomy is not a second law in a sense that it's another law. It's not another law from the one that God gave Moses on Sinai that was revealed in the book of Exodus and explained further in the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers. Deuteronomy is not a new law. It's not a different law. It's the same law. But in the book of Deuteronomy, you have it restated, and that's why it's known as second law, because it's a second stating of the law. It's the law of God that's restated, re-preached, re-shared, explained 40 years after it was originally given to Moses and to the people on Sinai. Now Moses has the opportunity as, the, as an old man, as the elder statesman, as a man who's about to die, and he knows that this new generation of the people called Israel is on the precipice of finally, after four decades of wandering in the desert, they're about to enter finally the promised land of God, the land of Canaan, this land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses can see the end. He can see the land that he'll never set foot in, and he can see the end of his life not long over the horizon. And so he has the opportunity in a very important way for very important reasons to restate and to reshare for a second time the law of God to the people of God so that as they enter the promised land, they can enter it under the blessing of God. I don't know about you, but I found in my life that sometimes hard-headed people just need things repeated to them over and over again. And that's the case, I think, here with the book of Deuteronomy. But here's the thing, having explained all of that, Deuteronomy is not the original title of the book. It was added centuries after it was written, when the Old Testament was first translated into Greek in the year 250 BC. 
No, whenever, because Deuteronomy is basically a Greek-Latin form. Well, the Hebrews didn't speak Greek or Latin, amen. So they called it something else. The ancient Hebrews referred to the book of Deuteronomy simply as the words, the words. That's all they needed to say. Have you read lately the words? That's all it needed, kind of like a great athlete. If I were to just simply give you the title, The Greatest, many of you would immediately think of Muhammad Ali. If I were to give you the nickname, The King, those of you that were golf fans would immediately think of Arnold Palmer. If I simply said The Hammer, all the Braves fans in the room would immediately think of Hammer and Hank Aaron. That's all you had to say, right? Just give them the title. And immediately you know what we're talking about. Well, that's true for the ancient Hebrews. All they needed to hear was the words. And that title is taken from the very first line of the book. These are the words of Moses. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to the words of Moses and see how this very influential book begins. We're going to read the first five verses to get us started this morning. Only going to have time today to dip our toes in the water and get them wet today. But let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning <clears throat> in verse 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dishahab. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, very specific language there, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edrai, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. Father, would you explain the word to us this morning? I pray that you'll use the preacher, but I pray that you'll teach by the Spirit. Penetrate the rough exteriors of our lives and hearts and go down deep where we can hear for transformation, respond, and then serve you with gladness, with joy because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's through Christ our risen Savior we pray and all God's people said, <clears throat> amen. Thank you, Hillcrest. You may be seated. Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. Now that's what Deuteronomy is right there. Deuteronomy is an explanation and an application of the law of God. Really what Deuteronomy is a series of sermons. Preachers love it because that's all Moses does all the way up until the time he dies when somebody else obviously communicates because a man can't record his own death, right? 
So we have the words of Moses, but then we have a little bit of narrative material in there that's put in there by an editor to help us understand what happened to Moses. But Moses, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, is an old man. He's near the end of his life, and he's giving this series of sermons, four, three or four of them actually, to a new generation of Israelites that are about to enter the promised land. Man, they've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. I wonder if there's anybody in the house wandering in a desert this morning. It's easy to find yourself in the desert. Dis disobedience is always the culprit, and it's what got them there. There's a new generation has been wandering around, has known nothing but the desert. And these opening verses remind us that though the message of, a, of the book is obviously a written message, before it was written, it was spoken. This is a spoken message. This is a message, a series of messages spoken by a preacher engaged in the ministry of instruction to the people of God who needed to hear the word of God. It's an interesting aside that apart from chapter 34, which records the death of Moses, practically the entire book is a record of something that Moses is speaking to God's people. These are the words of Moses. Now, a lot of things come to mind when we think about Moses. Moses is one of the great heroes in the Bible, probably the greatest hero to people of Israel. We tend to think of Moses a great leader, right? Greatest leader Israel ever had was Moses. We think of Moses as a judge, a judicial person who nearly collapsed under the weight of all of the cases that he had to hear and all of the disputes that he had to adjudicate. We think of Moses as the military strategist. I mean, this incredible man who was able to take a ragtag group of slaves and turn them into this incredible fighting force that was able to fight off enemy armies that were better equipped than they were, better trained than they were. But the Moses of Deuteronomy is primarily a preacher. He's a preaching pastor. He's a man who leads his people with words. And in these words, we find some timeless truths about communicating God's word. In our case, communicating the gospel message, which I think are relevant in every generation. What can we draw from this ministry of gospel communication from this preamble, this opening statement to one of the greatest books in the Bible. Well, I'm gonna give you five things to consider this morning. The first and the most obvious is the necessity of the message. The necessity of the message. To put it bluntly, people need spiritual words that bring spiritual life to them. How many of you need the message of the Bible in your life? Would you say amen? People need spiritual words. You know why? Because we're all stubborn. We're all broken by sin, and we all have a tendency to sin, and that's why we need a constant diet of the spoken message of the Word of God, unpacked, explained, and then applied to everyday life. That was true for the people of Israel. We're told right out of the gate here that Moses spoke these words in the 40th year. In the 40th year of what? In the 40th year since the Exodus. Israel had been enslaved in 400 years of bondage to the people of Egypt. God, of course, brought them out in a very dramatic kind of way. And it had been 40 years since they found 
their freedom. What's ironic is that we're reminded in verse number two, watch it, it is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. That's an interesting revelation because we know they've been out there on this journey for 40 years and now we're reminded it's an 11 day journey and sirens and red bells or uh, red lights ought to be going off at this point. The first thing we realize here is it's taken Israel 40 years to make an 11 day journey. Now, here's the thing. If I learn that a group of people successfully makes a 40 day journey in 11 days, now I'm impressed. But when somebody tells me they've turned an 11 day journey into a 40 year affair, I'm thinking, I wouldn't put that on your resume if I were you. And that happened of course, because 38 years before the people weren't faithful to God's word. They weren't faithful to what God had said. They weren't faithful to God's commands. <clears throat> they came after about a two-year sojourn from Egypt. They came to the place known as Kadesh Barnea in the northern Sinai, just south of what we call the promised land, the land of Canaan, modern Israel. They sent out 12 spies to investigate the land so that, that they would know what awaited them. 10 of them came back and they said, no way, Jose, can we ever do this thing? The people are too big, the obstacles are too great. Only two out of the 12 that were sent in, a man named Caleb and a man named Joshua said, you know what, we can do this. In the power of God, we are well able to take it, but the people sided with the majority and God judged them for it. He wouldn't allow that first generation to ever enter the promised land. He'd take them right up to the precipice of the promised land, which is where we are when we open the book of Deuteronomy, right there across the valley. They could see it. But that first generation would all have to die first. And it took nearly 40 years for that to happen. In fact, even Moses himself came under the same judgment when he disobeyed God's commands as reflected in the book of Numbers when the people were thirsty and they needed water, God said, just go up and speak to the rock and water will flow. And Moses had had it with these people and in a fit of anger and indeed a fit of disobedience, Moses took his staff and he struck the rock rather than obeying God down to the letter and speaking to the rock. Many people see that and they think, well, that just seems so unfair to me. Listen, nine out of 10 doesn't cut it with God. When God tells you to do something, he, he expects that we're going to do it exactly as he's spoken it and not improvise in the process. So God judged Moses along with the people and he told him, you'll never set foot in it. You'll see it. I mean, you'll have a mountaintop view of it, bird's eye view, but you'll never set foot in it. And that brings us to where we are now in the sobering reminder that disobedience always leads to the desert. Disobedience always leads to a time of wandering in the wilderness. Sometimes the consequences will last a really long time. And that's why you want to be careful to obey when God's word is clearly revealed, clearly spoken. And it's part of the reason we need to consistently hear the message from the word of God. We need to hear the message of God coming from a man of God in the timeless way that happens among the people of God through the spoken word of God. God's word is much needed for God's people 
in every generation. That's the first thing we see from the introduction to Deuteronomy. We need the message. But then second, I want you to notice the source of the message. Look at verse three. We're told that Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given to him. You know what the point here is? The Moses' message came not from Moses himself, but Moses' message came from the Lord. Did you see that? Say amen. It was God's word. It was God's message. Moses didn't preach his opinion to the people. Moses didn't preach popular culture to the people. Moses didn't preach the latest social media trends to the people. Moses didn't preach empty philosophy or what people wanted to hear him say. He was like Paul who told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the what? Say it out loud, in the power of God. You know, the apostle Paul was obviously very familiar with the preaching of Moses. He understood that there's no real power in human words alone. Let me say that again. There are, is no real power in human words alone, but there is life-changing power in the word of God. There's life-changing power in the spoken words of God. There's power in what God has chosen in his infinite wisdom and authority to reveal to fallen, broken, fallible people like ourselves. So God is the source of Moses' message. And today it's through the Bible that we share the words of God. Moses got them ex cathedra, right? He got them straight from the Lord. And as Moses received them as a prophet of God, he turned them outward and gave them to the people of God. That's not the way God works today. Oh, God still speaks, but God speaks fundamentally through his written word, contained now for time and eternity until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God speaks to God's people through his eternal word so that the same source available to the people then is now available to all of us and shall evermore be through the pages of God's revealed word. That's the source of the message. Moses spoke what the Lord had given to him. But then third, we see that Moses uh, spoke a certain kind of message. So I want you to notice thirdly, the communication of the message. Sometimes you hear people drawing a distinction between preaching and teaching. Have y'all ever heard that before? Oh, Brother X now, he is a preacher of the word. But Brother Y on the other side of town now, he's a teacher of the word. May I say that from the pages of the Bible, that's a false dichotomy? Most of the time when we make those distinctions, you know what the criteria is, don't you? Emotion, voice, and style, right? So that if a guy is screaming at the top of his lungs and kicking over the pulpit, then he's a preacher. But if he speaks in a conversational tone, even if he speaks in a way that connects with people. Ah, that guy's a teacher. Can I just say that the Bible teaches no such thing 
In fact, what the Bible teaches is that preaching that doesn't teach biblical truth is not a message from God. It's a rant. That's what it is. It's just a rant. Now, preaching that doesn't really uh, communicate anything, preaching that doesn't really instruct as well as inspire, that's problematic because it's always going to leave the people shallow. It's going to leave the people immature. Moses was a teaching preacher. That's who he was. And we see that clearly in verse 5. Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to what? Say it out loud. To explain this law. Most modern translations use that word explain. If you're using a new international version of the Bible this morning, it uses the word expound. Moses undertook to expound the law, which is kind of the same thing, but the word expound simply means to explain with instruction and with force in a way that's clearly understood. And Paul understood that as well. Paul understood that very thing, to take the word of God and then to explain it and to apply it with clarity and with force. That, according to Paul, is the preacher's primary responsibility. Notice Colossians chapter four, beginning in verse three. Paul encourages the Colossians as he brings this little letter to a conclusion. He says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the what? For the word to declare the mystery of Christ, verse four, that I may make it what? That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. God help us preachers if we're anything but clear. I mean, if you've ever left a message, probably nine out of 10 of mine, but if you've ever left a message shaking your head and thinking, boy, that guy must have a lot of education, go, I didn't understand anything he said, then there's bedlam and bedrock in the house of God. Now, the primary responsibility of the preacher is to take the complex and simplify it. Amen. So that the people can have this aha moment. Aha. That's what they're talking about. That's what that passage means. That's how I'm to apply it to my life. Communicating with clarity. That was critical for this new generation. I'm telling you, Moses is speaking these words to a lot of people that, that hadn't even been born yet at the time of the Exodus. Y'all do know there were babies born in the desert, right? All during this period of wilderness wandering. Some of these people that are about to enter the promised land are now teenagers and young adults. And they weren't around when this journey began. Some of them were around, but they were very young. They may have been children. They may have been preteens, adolescents. And there they were. Now on the east side of the Jordan, when they came originally to Kadesh Barnea, they were in the northern Sinai, south of the land of Canaan. Now they worked their way a little bit to the west, and the Bible says they're in the land of Moab, the land of the red rocks and the red sand, right? Gazing at Jericho from just across the valley. I've been there. Three or four times, I've stood right where they were standing. I've been with several from this very church. Ken Bell was with us. 
LaDon Boyd, Tom Jenkins, Brian Barlow several times. I mean, we've been over there and we've stood in this very place where you can look right across the valley and you can see Jericho. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, if we hoof it, we can be over there in less than a couple of hours. Let's go take Jericho and let's do it today. And Dr. Barlow always said, no, we're not going to do that. Time to go eat. And that's right where they were. I'm telling you, get cold chills thinking about it today. Just go over there and stand there. And I'm walking around thinking Moses is buried up here somewhere. We may be standing right on top of his bones because nobody knows exactly where on that mountaintop in Moab that he's buried. That's where these people were. And don't you know they needed a clear word from God? Big things were getting ready to happen. <clears throat> And you're going to read about those in the book of Joshua, which is not part of this series. But to get them ready for the big things that are going to happen that you read about when Moses died, Joshua takes over, then leads them into the promised land in times of great conquest and victory. What they need to know is found in the sermons of Moses known as the book of Deuteronomy. And they needed a clear word from God that would empower them to get off dead center and go. They, they needed to know how they were supposed to take the land, where they were supposed to go, how to go about it, how to keep the land once they got in the middle of it, how to honor God and live in the wake of his blessing. And let me just say, we need the same thing today at Hillcrest, Pensacola, Florida, wherever you may be watching from this morning. It's why God has given us the Bible. We need to be able to answer those same questions. Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do when I get there? How am I supposed to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God so that I'm not living to make a name for myself, but living to magnify the greatness and the majesty of his great name? We need to know that. That's why we need the word as much as they did. It's why God has given us the Bible. It's why God has given us, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. <clears throat> and so we're to preach the word, Paul says to Timothy, before he dies. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Explain it to the people so they can understand it. Illustrate it to the people so that they can grasp it, apply it to the people so that it makes an impact right where they are, where they live, where they work, in the midst of their family and their working environment. Explain it, illustrate it, apply it. That's how you communicate the message of God's word. But then I want you to notice a fourth thing this morning and that is the content of the message. It's one thing to understand how we're to do it, but what are we supposed to communicate or to phrase it in light of what's said here in these opening verses? How much of God's law did Moses explain to the people? Well, verse three answers the question. Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to what? All that the Lord had given him. Not part of it, not some of it. Moses preached all that God had revealed to them. You remember what Paul told the Ephesian elders when he stopped to visit them on his way back to Jerusalem at the end of his second missionary journey, Acts chapter 20. 
He says there to him, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you, say it out loud with me, declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's the charge of the gospel communicator. That's why we're preaching the book of Deuteronomy. Because the last time I checked, it's in the Bible. Amen. It's part of God's eternal word. And we're to preach the whole counsel of God, which is the charge of the gospel communicator. Because in the Bible, what we have is the complete revelation of God as the written word of God. And it's important that we not hold back in declaring all of its commands. We're to preach all the commandments of God. We're to preach all the wisdom of God. We're to preach all the prophets of God. We're to preach all the teaching of God. And that's why we're wise not to overlook the books like Deuteronomy because contrary to popular opinion, Deuteronomy is not arcane. It is not irrelevant. Deuteronomy addresses real life issues critical to the people of God to this very day. What about purity and worship? That's all over the book of Deuteronomy. How to worship God with clean hands and a pure heart. May I ask you the question today, does the 21st church, uh, century church in America and around the world need to be instructed in how to worship God with purity and reverence and awe in a way that honors him? Well, of course we do. What about things like confidence in battle? Oh, Moses is gonna tell the people how to never fear, <clears throat> even when they're facing superior numbers. Anybody in the house today need confidence in battle? Oh, you may not don fatigues and you may not go into the desert to fight an alien army, but the Bible says, and you should know it by now because we just took a journey in it, that every single one of us engage in battles every day spiritually. We call it spiritual warfare. And we need to know how to be confident when we face our arch enemy, the devil. Does the church need a word? about how to fight, not carnally, not with weapons of the flesh, but with weapons that are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds? I think so. What about living with the importance of uncompromised obedience to God's commands? Do we need to learn how to live in total and complete obedience, even when we don't necessarily like a commandment of God? What about living with personal generosity? learning to be generous, learning to be a giver to God and to others. That's all over the book of Deuteronomy. Anybody here need to be reminded that idolatry is a bad thing in the presence of God? That we worship a God who is described as a jealous God and he will tolerate no other rival? We need to be reminded of that. What about showing mercy and justice to the oppressed and to the undeserved of our society. I'm just telling you, we've, turned, we've tended in our day and time to turn matters of, of justice and, and mercy and fairness into something of a political football, but Moses has a lot to say about how the people of God are to treat others who are not like them and living on the margins. And what about grace? In this book that tends to be known by more people about law than anything else, do we find a message of grace anywhere in the book of Deuteronomy? How about all over it? Anybody here this morning need grace today? Would you say amen? Anybody here today need help living with grace? Do you need help showing grace to others? 
I'm just saying Moses indeed, he reviews the law of God to the people of God. He reviews the commands of God and he's right to do that. But one of the things that you need to notice as you're reading through Deuteronomy is that when Moses reinterprets, or not reinterprets, but when he reiterates and repeats the law of God, he delivers it with this underlying foundation of the grace of God. How was Israel as a people called? Because of what they offered to God? No, they were called to be God's people solely by the grace of God, and Moses will remind them of that. How was Israel delivered from 400 years of slavery because they organized themselves well, because they built themselves up to a mighty force so they just kicked tail and took name and marched out on their own. No, they were delivered solely by the grace and power of God alone. How did this ragtag group of people that had pretty much nothing to fight with but sticks and rocks that they could find out in the desert, how were they able to defeat the Calvary of Egypt, how were they able to defeat these incredible fighting forces? It was all by the grace of God. And then there was the land, the land that God has been preparing them <clears throat> to inherit, a land that they did not deserve, but that God was just giving them. Even the land was a gift of God's grace. I'm just telling you this morning, all of their privileges were undeserved as a people, and every spiritual privilege that you and I have is just as undeserved. And so no, when we read Deuteronomy, we read a little bit about the law, no question about that, but we read just as much that reminds us about the gracious favor of God to undeserving people. I'm just saying Deuteronomy is not bad news, Deuteronomy is not even hard news. Deuteronomy is good news, brothers and sisters. And that's why we're right to refer to the book of Deuteronomy as the great scholar uh, Daniel Block does as the gospel according to Moses because it's all founded on the grace of God. And then finally, notice with me the aim of the message, the purpose of the message, the direction of the message. And to see this, we have to jump ahead just slightly to verse number six, which we did not read originally. But notice what verse six says. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Man, I could preach a sermon just on that one line. It's time for some people to get off dead center. I'm gonna hold it right there. I'm gonna chase a rabbit. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. And then notice verse eight, go in, and take possession. See, this is another thing about gospel communication. Gospel communication is instructive, it's informational, it is to be applied, but ultimately something is missing if gospel communication is not also motivational. Because the word of God always motivates us <clears throat> to do something. Every sermon, every teaching ought to call for a response. It ought to call for a response. I do it virtually every Sunday here. How will I respond to today's message? I've said that a hundred times. I wish I had a hundred dollar bill for every time I've asked that question at the end of the sermon. How will I respond to today's message? Because in one sense, every gospel teaching 
should motivate the believer to do something, to respond in some kind of way. That's what Moses does here. I work out of a manila folder. My assistant makes uh, photocopies of materials from my book so that I don't have to walk around with a stack of books like this. She photocopies the relevant sections, puts them in a manila folder, and I carry that little folder around with me. It's got all the reading material I need to prepare a message from week to week to week. And on the inside of the first cover of that manila folder, I usually change them out by series, but on the inside I write three questions. What, so what, now what? Say that with me. What, so what, now what? That's what we want every message from God to directly address. What is this passage talking about? That's the explanation. So what? What does it mean to my life? How can I take this ancient text? I mean, the book of Deuteronomy was probably pieced together from material that Moses spoke around the year 1500 B.C. That's 3,500 years ago. How is that in any way, shape, or form supposed to apply to my life? That's what good preaching does. It answers the question, what does this text have to say? So what? How does it apply to my life? And then the third question is the motivational question, now what? Now what? How am I supposed to respond to this? What am I supposed to do with this? And that's what Moses gets to by saying, you people have stood on this mountain or been at this mountain long enough. It's time to go in now and take possession. It's time to move forward. It's time to take what God has said is yours by divine right because you belong to him. You're a part of the community of faith, the people of God, and God has better things for you than what you're languishing in today. And as Moses says here, he'll say it again at the very end of the book, just before he dies, Deuteronomy 30, look at verse 19 and 20. This day, Moses said, I have set before you what? Life and death, blessings and curses. And now what does he say? What's the necessary response? Choose life. Choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. And let me say this morning, that's the same appeal we make this very day. I mean, some form of that appeal is the exact appeal that we make now 3,500 years after the fact, virtually every time that we gather together. Because some of y'all been in the desert way too long. I mean, I think you can wander around the desert long enough and you know, start living like an Eeyore, woe is me, to the point where that almost becomes your identity. You've just been there long, you've just been stuck in neutral far too long. There's some people here today that have been languishing in the spiritual equivalent of kindergarten for 40 years. And the Bible says very clearly, let us leave the elementary things about Christ and go on to maturity. And for some people today, it's time to get out of the kindergarten classroom and start making a move toward maturity in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And you got every resource available to you in order to do it. That's God's plan for your life. God has a plan for your life and it's far more significant than whatever it is you're chasing in this world. So whether you're stuck at the base of a mountain or whether you're wandering in circles in an unproductive desert, I'm just saying this morning the same thing that Moses said all those years ago. It's time to get off dead center. It's time to move forward. It's start, time to start living the kind of kingdom life that you as a kingdom citizen ought to be living. And if you're not a kingdom citizen, now is the time because today is always the day to get out of the desert spiritually, become a child of God, and begin to live in ways that transcend the here and now, but in ways that make an eternal difference, in ways that honor God. These are the words of Moses. But more to the point, it's God's word. And it never goes out of style. And all God's people said, amen. amen.